Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. Do I sound different? Because I feel different. I was just walking my dog, thinking about what to talk about on this podcast intro. And it's so quiet, you guys. It's so quiet and skoky. So for those who are not from Chicago or don't know anything about Chicago, so if you go straight north on like Lakeshore Drive or, you know, any of the long drives in, in Chicago, you would end up in Evanston and just to the west of Evanston is Skokie. And that's where we live now. And I never thought I would be a suburb girl. Never. Because I grew up in like, I mean, Southern Ohio, like suburban, slap, not rural, but like we were surrounded by a lot of rural areas. And so... When I moved to Chicago, I was like desperate to get away from like, you know, the chilies and the Applebee's of it all and to find something that's like authentic and real and gritty and exciting. And I was 23, I must, yes, 23, was 23 when I moved to Chicago. I'm 43 now, 20 years have passed, a lot of life has been lived and it's so funny to me. I'm such an asshole that <laughs> anytime a friend of mine would move to the suburbs in the past 20 years, I would be like, oh, you sell out. Oh, that sucks. Like, boo. <laughs> what an asshole. Right. And now here I am. I am the defector. I am the suburb mover. And I just want to officially apologize to anyone that I ever judged, whether I told you I was judging you or not. I, I did. I judged everyone who moved to the suburbs. So whether I told you I was judging you or not, I apologize because I, I now understand the appeal of the quiet. I also, it's so funny, like, I think that we spend our lives trying to figure out who we are. And then at some point when we feel a bit more settled with who we are, we start to realize how other people are different. And that might sound like really ridiculous, like, duh. But I feel like on a really different level, I'm starting to recognize like, oh, my nervous system needs something different now than it did 20 years ago when I moved to the city. And other people's nervous systems might feel different. And I know that as a therapist, like when I'm sitting in front of a client, but I don't always carry that with me through every interaction that I have. And it's so easy for me to slip into judgment when somebody isn't doing something the way that I think that they should, you know, not living in a place that feels aligned with what I think they want for themselves. It's really quite arrogant, actually. Um, so I'm naming that. I'm, I apologize. I'm sorry, everybody, that I ever judge for moving to the suburbs. I get it. And the quiet and the calm that I feel here is so delicious. There are crickets. I didn't realize there weren't crickets in Chicago until I heard crickets. The first night we were here, my husband and I were laying in bed right after we moved in and we were both like, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Exactly. There's nothing except crickets. So here I am. I'm trying to slow down. I'm trying to 
be in alignment with my internal rhythms instead of continuing to try to align myself with the external rhythms of the world around me. And it's a lot easier for me to do that in a space that doesn't have a lot of sensory input all the time. But, you know, the city's literally 10 minutes away. So as soon as I want some crazy sensory input, I'm going to go get it. So it's the best of both worlds, really. So thank you for joining me on this journey. You're going to hear more about the crickets, I'm sure, and the delights of the suburbs that I find, the silly things that, I mean, like, I get to park in a driveway. I'm sure people who, like, already have lived in the suburbs are like, you crazy dum-dum. Like, yes, this is, of course, easier, but... I get to park in a driveway and like bring in groceries like from feet away instead of like many, many feet. Anyway, so just enjoying it here. Thank you for being with us today. And I'm excited to share today's guest with you. Little invitation before we move on to today's guest introduction is I would be so, so, so honored if you would be willing to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcast. Because it actually is, it's a very small thing that you can do, but it's super helpful because it, it it just helps our podcast pop up so that other people who might be interested in picking up what we're putting down are able to put me in their ears. So I would highly, highly appreciate if you do that. You could also give us a star rating on Spotify if that is your chosen listening device. So moving on to today's guest, who I want to call by the wrong last name because when I knew her, she went by her maiden name and she is now Carrie Young. Carrie Young is a classically trained musician and experienced higher education administrator and educator. She recently started a podcast called Paths in Progress, which I happen to get to be a guest on, to help students and recent graduates learn about the education and career paths of professionals across a variety of fields who often had challenges, pivots, and roadblocks along their path. Carrie has prioritized mentorship and relationship building throughout her work with students, which is one of the big reasons that I wanted to share her and all of her work with you today. So please enjoy my lovely conversation with Carrie Young. Carrie, we should sing Sarah. everything literally because you can. Oh, that would be awesome. No one would listen. <laughs> Everyone would turn it off instantly. They're probably already gone. <laughs> and I don't care because this is entertaining for us. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you. I am super excited to be here. I'm I have no idea what we're going to talk about and I don't care. It'll be fun no matter what. Exactly. It's going to be great. So Carrie and I, everyone, went to undergrad together. I guess that's only what people who went to grad school say. We went to college together. Mm -hmm. We were both music majors. Mm -hmm. And you were in Mari's studio too, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. We both had the same voice teacher. Mm -hmm. So hi, Mari. I hope you hi, listen Mari. to this. Hi, Mari. She will. She better. She will. <laughs> oh. I think she would. Okay. We'll find Great. out. Well, Here's we'll your find test, out. Mari. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, but if you don't write us back, we will think that you always hated us. No, she no. doesn't. I've seen her many times over the years. She's oh, the best. that's so cool. That's so cool. I think... That most of college I was in like a trauma blackout because I just honestly don't have a very good memory. And so 
So I was on Carrie's podcast. This is one of the reasons Carrie is here. You want to tell them about the podcast, what it is? Sure. Um, My podcast is called Paths in Progress, and I have been working in higher education with college students in advising for over 15 years. And I taught a class for several of those years that I created that a large part of it was to bring people in and talk about their career paths and not just like, here's what it's like to be a blah, blah, blah. But let's be transparent about what daily life is actually like in this career Mm -hmm. and what it actually took to get to where they are and all of the roadblocks and challenges and oopsies and all of that kind of stuff to try to give students a realistic picture of a real person that walked this path, you know, and has this career, but also to help give them ideas like, oh, cool, they did study abroad there. I didn't know that existed. Or, oh, they had a minor called this. I've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Or even jobs that people have never heard of, internships people have never heard of. So, really to try to just open doors and give them ideas and plant seeds early. I taught that class to freshmen. So to try to plant seeds early just to help them maybe think a little bit differently about how they approach their path. Because sometimes we can have kind of tunnel vision when we go into college, like you think you want to be this thing, so you don't really consider other things for a while. And then if that doesn't work out, you've maybe lost some opportunities or some possible avenues because you were too focused on one thing. So yeah, so the podcast is to bring a different person in each episode that's had a different career path. Most people I've talked to have had kind of a winding career path, you know, or changed careers or had some kind of huge thing happen in their life that made them switch gears. So just to be encouraging to students in that way, to see these paths and to see like, oh my gosh, this person made it through that and that, and that, and that. (laughs) Yeah. And they still found their way, and now they're doing a thing that they love. And so I hope that that's what it does. That's the intent. So Mm -hmm. to help people learn and to help encourage them. And I think that's healing, but I'm not going to ask you that question yet. Don't don't answer. Don't say anything. To be continued. TBC. So as I was saying, my trauma blackout. So Carrie had me on her podcast And there were so many things that you were like, oh, do you remember this or that? And I'm like, that sounds like something I would have done or said or been a part of, but I don't (laughs) remember it. But here we are. But you were fun. I was fun. Oh, I remember that you were fun. I do. Thanks. Thank you. I was a lot, but, you know, we grow. (laughs) We do. Well, we all, you know, nobody goes through college perfectly. (laughs) I mean, come on. They don't. They don't. Brian Shepard did. Maybe Brian. That's true. (laughs) He's a gem. I love him. Everyone listening to this episode is going to be like, I don't care who these people are. Why are you giving these inside jokes? Because we can. This is my show. Yeah, we can. Hi, Brian. He'll listen, right? Brian will listen to us. Oh, he absolutely will. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about your career path, okay. right? And how you ended up where you are. And then that will somehow lead us into the healing conversation, I trust. Okay. So let's see. Like many people, the career path I ended up walking on was not at all what I intended when I went to college. I went to college as a music major to study voice. My mom was a music education major. Oh, I didn't realize that. 
Yeah. And just really all my life, I'd been singing. I'd been in choir. I did little solos in church as a kid and musicals. And really, when I was by myself, that's how I emotionally processed a lot of things in my life. Like going to your room and cranking on the Debbie Gibson or the Madonna or the Guns N' Roses or whatever. I'm totally aging myself. But, you know or musical theater, whatever I was into at the time. So my first cassette tapes, and I said that cassette tapes um, <laughs> were... Okay, if you don't know what cassette tapes are, Google it. Just, please. Just look it up. I mean, I'm sorry. At least you've probably seen a t-shirt with a picture of them or something, hopefully. Probably, right. But they were these little things that you listen to music on. <laughs> Pre-CDs, but my first cassette tapes were musicals, like Oklahoma and My Fair Lady and stuff like that. So... I'd really been in love with singing and musical theater and stuff my whole life. So it just kind of made sense for me to continue that. I was always encouraged in that way. Mm-hmm. But I really wasn't thinking too much about career and long term. I figured I'd figure that out later. So I kind of thought I'd want to be a choir director or direct musicals or something like that. And when I got to college... We talked about this on the episode that you wrote mine, like those music ed observation hours in the public schools. I just got in there and I was like, no, nope, I'm not. This is not what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) And then when I got into conducting one, I hated it. Hmm. I hated conducting. And I was like, well, this isn't going to (laughs) work. And it's been so funny for me over the years watching how many of my students like are obsessed with conducting And I was like, well, this is just more of a sign. Like, I hated it. I don't know why. I just did. I did a summer program for opera after my sophomore year called Opera in the Ozarks. And uh, Mari, Mari actually encouraged me to do that. Oh, And I met a boy there who I started dating after that summer. And then we got married the next summer. Which so that was the summer oh. after my junior year of college. So wait, you got married in? I did. How do I not remember any of this? I left. I left Miami when we got oh. married, and I transferred to the University of Tennessee. Oh, so I was there okay. three years. I did my junior recital, and then I left. And that was not what I thought I would do in my <laughs> life. Like I always pictured myself getting married at like thirty-five. Really? Yeah. I just I'm very <laughs> independent. And I just didn't picture myself getting married early. I don't know why. And so when I did, that was one thing that adjusted my career path thinking. But when we got married, though, I I transferred to University of Tennessee. I got to do a lot with the opera and choir programs there. I loved that experience. And then I came to Houston to go to graduate school. Also, Mari's idea for me to come down here. So Mari's really just directed all of my life, except she Aww. didn't really think I should get married that young, which that's OK. She was just worried for me. I love that she was also like a therapist in many ways, too. Yeah. And that's really an advantage I think we have as music majors is we have this one on one person. Yes. Right. Yes. That you see every week. Many one on one people. Oh, yeah. You know? And, you know, I was far away from home. And so she was really like, you know, my mom at college. So, Aww. but yeah, I love her. So, anywho's, I came to grad school. I was super burnt out. I should not have come straight to grad school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, within a two year period, I'd gotten married, I transferred schools, I'd moved states twice. 
I studied in Europe for the summer before I came to Houston to grad school. And I just felt like I kind of like rolled off the moving truck and collapsed. And then I had to start grad school. So <laughs> it was. <laughs> I, I'm like actually picturing it. And it's really funny to picture yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and it was August in Houston, which is also like a death trap. Yeah. So I probably should not have done that, but I did. So it was kind of too late to change that plan. So I still loved music, but I was starting to not love music school as much by the time I got to grad school. I was burnt out. Mm -hmm. I did audition for the Houston Grand Opera Chorus um, at the urging of my teacher at that time. And so I did start with them while I was in grad school. And so that gave me this different community of singers who were in a different, a lot of them were in a different place in life and really were doing that for enjoyment. You know, it was like Mm -hmm. part of their life, but it wasn't their whole life. It wasn't their career. So that gave me this other community of people to start to see that opera and music could be part of my life, but it didn't have to be the main thing. Right. And so I'm super thankful for that experience in tandem with my graduate experience, because I really going through those two years, that's what I decided. I didn't want that for my primary career path, even though I just gotten two degrees in it. So Mm -hmm. the summer between my two grad school years, I was on a wait list for a summer opera program. So I enrolled with a temp agency, which a lot of us have done at some point in our life. Have done. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really great in some ways, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got placed at a community college to work for a dean who happened to be from the area of Tennessee where I had lived, going to University of Tennessee, and her degrees were in music as a singer. Oh, my gosh. So we totally connected. Hi, Wanda, if you're listening. Hi, Wanda. Um, (laughs) Nice to meet you. (laughs) She's also the best. Um, (laughs) So I worked for her that summer on a project, and I finished it earlier than they thought. So she's like, why don't you go in the admissions office and help them out? So I went there and I was like processing transcripts and learning how everything worked. And that's where I started working with students because they would come into the admissions office and something would be messed up or they were confused about something or something hadn't been processed or they didn't understand why, blah, 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 you know. So that was my first exposure to working with college students. And they invited me to come back the next summer after I finished my master's degree. So I did that. And she kind of bumped me up to being an advisor I started working with students in that capacity, like helping them process test scores and understand why, yes, you have to take a remedial math class because you did not do well on this particular test that you took, that kind of stuff, or helping them understand which programs they had to choose from or all of that. So after that summer, I started to go teach voice lessons the next fall which is what a lot of people do out of grad school in music, Mm -hmm. and also hated that. This is funny because I hated my music ed. I know. Well, I hated my music ed major, and then I hated teaching lessons, and then I spent 16 years working in education. So this is just kind of, it's all kind of weird to me how this added up, but... Right. So I taught voice lessons for a semester... I randomly, my husband and I went into an appointment to get life insurance because we were out of grad school, you know, and there was just something and it's cheaper when you're younger, blah, blah, blah. We wanted to have kids and all that. Mm -hmm. And we were in this appointment and this life insurance agent was like, "Um, do you want to work here? And I was just like, what? what? And he's like, well, you just said you don't like your job teaching voice lessons. And I was like, well, that's true. 
And he's like, we need someone <laughs> to come work in operations, like with the office. And I think you'd be good. Do you want to work here? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And I was totally caught off guard. I, know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was totally caught off guard. And so I went in for an interview and they hired me on the spot. So I ended up working at this financial firm for like a year and a half. I learned a lot just about kind of a corporate setting and running an office, like operations within an office and a team. And I was kind of the go-to person, like if something broke or something needed to be called or somebody didn't show up for work, you know, if like the mailroom person didn't show up, then I went and did the mail. And if the receptionist wasn't there that day, then I was the receptionist. And if this thing happened, then I went and put that together. So they were hosting a luncheon and I made sure the caterers got in and set everything up. You know, it was just like kind of the point person for all of that. So I learned a lot and I liked being the go-to person and I liked that stuff, but I also learned that I didn't, I just didn't have purpose in that work. It was a Mm -hmm. firm, very nice people. I really still to this day adore a lot of the people I worked with in that setting. But ultimately it was a lot of older men making a lot of money and that's what they were trying to do. Boo. So... It wasn't super motivating for me. <laughs> to, well, like, I wonder why. I know. I just didn't feel like I was part of a cause or part of something meaningful. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I left there and I called that boss at the community college. And I was like, look, I'd want to leave my job. Do you have advising open or whatever? She's like, you can come in tomorrow, like whatever you want to do. So Aww. that's basically what I did. Wow. I think I quit on a Friday and went back to the community college that Monday. And I ended up being in that community college system for a few years. I switched campuses and I really liked, you know, community college is a, is a little bit of everything. You know, you have super on-track students who are really trying to get into like nursing or something and they're doing all their prereqs that's in a very highly competitive environment or you're with students who have no idea what they want to do so their parents are just kind of making them go to community college for a year to figure it out Mm -hmm. you have people in applied technical programs you know we had an air conditioning program we had a cosmetology program there was literally like community yeah I mean it was just so many things and so I really liked that variety and just helping those students put those puzzles together you know Mm -hmm. and then after I'd been there about three years my husband got laid off first of three times so that's a whole nother Uh, struggle that a lot of people can relate to. But I was working at that community college part-time. It was like 35 hours kind of part-time. I was still in the opera chorus, like super full-time. I was doing like every show at night. And then I had started classes for an LMFT, which I can get to in a second. And the LMFT, so sorry, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, And that's actually a time that Sarah and I had reconnected because we both kind of started classes and going down that route around the same time. And I think one of us posted something and the other one was like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing that, too. So I loved it because like academic advising, it's like that one on one relational sit down with someone, help them talk through things, you know, but obviously in a different way. So I thought, well, maybe I want to do this in like a therapy way or and I was interested in the family therapy But as I was going through those classes, particularly once I started my first semester of graduate level, like intro to family therapy and stuff, 
we had been going through infertility for quite a while. Mm. And I don't remember what year of infertility we were on because it was eight and a half years total. Wow. So let's just stop right there for a second. (laughs) Okay. Like talk about trauma, right? That is such, I've worked with clients. I have not gotten pregnant, God willing. um, But I've worked with clients who that was their struggle and the trauma of that, the isolation of that eight and a half years, Carrie. Wow. Yeah, I I don't want to say thankfully, because I'm not thankful I had two close friends that also went through the same thing, but I had two friends who were going through that at the mm. same time I was. So mm. I did have a couple of people who understood, mm-hmm. you know, that very yeah. deeply. Yeah. And that was really helpful to me at the time. And we have since all had children. So that's been, mm. it turned out well for all of us. But Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, all different ways and different time periods to get there. But yeah, it happened for all of us. So, but going through those marriage and family therapy courses, I got to the point where I was like, what if I never have kids? Can Mm. I sit here and be a family Mm. therapist? I don't know if I can, Mm. you know, like I know I could relate to other couples going through infertility, but if I Mm -hmm. have to talk to parents about their kids stuff, parenting every day. Mm -hmm. And if that's something that I'm not going to get to experience and has been so painful for me, do I want to put myself through that every day for my career? So, and I'm just going to pause and throw in there for anyone who's considering being an LMFT, you don't have to work with parents and kids. You could just work with couples going through infertility. You could do sex therapy. You could do all sorts of other things. Just yeah. FYI, but yeah. not not putting any shade on your choices. No, and I think going through the coursework too, because you have to study all of that. You it's know? triggering. Um, yeah. So yeah. then my husband got laid off and it was kind of like, okay, I have this part-time advising. I have part-time with the opera company. I'm taking these classes. I need to try to find a full-time job. We can both get on my insurance because we don't Mm -hmm. know how long it'll take him to find a job. And Mm -hmm. I need to stop these classes right now for both of these reasons, right? This is, I'm not quite sure if I can do this now and, you know, the cost and the time of taking graduate level courses. So literally that day I got online and the academic advisor position for the School of Music where I had gotten my master's degree that job opened and it just seemed like, well, this makes sense. Like I graduated from there. I have the three years of experience. So I applied and I got that position and that really changed my life in a lot of ways. I think in a way for me, that was healing for a while. We still went through infertility for another, oh gosh, at least five years, five or Mm. six years, I guess. But With those students, I could take that maternal energy and give it to them. And that's really what I did. Um, I spent Mm -hmm. so much time getting to know them personally. And I went to their recitals and I went, you know, like I just tried to be, tried to be there, you know, as more than just their academic advisor. And not everybody welcomed that. And that's fine. You know, I wasn't like forcing it on everyone, but I feel like... (laughs) I know, right? I will be your parental figure now. I think if you ask the majority of my students, they'll tell you something along those lines. Like they felt like they could walk into my office and I was there for them to encourage them and to listen to them 
And for the most part, they would feel better when they left, you know, so well, that's what advising is for. But that is not. Yeah, what we often get. So. Right, right. Right. And actually, I didn't get that ever from an advising figure. And so I actually had a negative experience with an advisor at one point. And so when I started this, I really was trying to not be that person, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, in a way it was healing for me. And also I felt like I was really giving back to the program that I came out of and that I could also understand them as a musician, right? Because, right, gosh, all of the stuff you deal with in music school, particularly with criticism and rejection. Yeah. You know, a lot of students, their families didn't necessarily understand what they were experiencing or maybe their roommate didn't understand. Maybe their best friend did not understand, you know, so to have somebody who could totally you know, understand it, but also help guide them and encourage them in those moments was something that I really felt honored to be a part of. And that really, yeah, that that whole job experience really changed my life. And then after eight years of that, Mm. I was promoted. Our college became, uh, we broke off from liberal arts and we became a college of the arts. So music, theater, dance, visual art, Mm. arts leadership, and interdisciplinary arts. And I became the Director of Academic Affairs, so I supervised advisors and admissions and orientation and graduation Mm. and all that stuff. And I did that for five years. And then I resigned last summer for a whole bunch of reasons. Officially, publicly, I talk about the pandemic-related reasons, but there were other things that it was just a whole bunch of reasons that I felt like it was time for me to step away from that particular role. But Mm -hmm. I missed working with students. So that's why I formed the podcast that I described earlier, because I wanted to still use what I've learned, right, and be able to be encouraging to students. I just needed to do it in a different way for the past year. So that's what I did. Mm. I want to go back and then come back to where we are because when you said that you would shut yourself in your room as a teen <laughs> and sing, like, yeah. that's exactly what I did. You want to know what I did? This is pretty, this is how I learned to harmonize. Oh, I yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of automatically would harmonize, but I had a karaoke machine. And so I, I would did too. play this song and I would tape myself singing the lead mm-hmm. and then I would switch a route on another blank tape and I would then record harmony on top of that. And then I would do it like three or four times and have all these different harmony lines. I wish to God I had one of those tapes now. I'd be yeah. so curious how it actually sounds now, but that's what I would do in my room for hours on end. I would get out, whether it was cassette or CD, depending on what year we're talking about, I would get out all those liner notes and like memorize mm-hmm. the words. I always wanted to know what I was saying, you know, and get mm-hmm. the right words. And mm-hmm. But even as a small kid, like I had, I mean, my mom could tell you how old I was. I'm guessing I was four or five, but I had... I had sing-along tapes where this one I had was a Cabbage Patch one. I hope people know what that is because they've been resurrected. Google that too. Yeah. It was like this Cabbage Patch story that had songs and you would like sing. So it was almost like this little musical. I can't believe I didn't have that. Now I'm offended that my mother didn't buy that for me. <laughs> Maybe it's another failure. or something. It's another trauma. I wish I still had that. And my pink, pinkish purple ghetto blaster. I don't think we can say ghetto blaster anymore. Oh, that's true. I think it's racist now. 
That's true. I haven't said that word in so many years. I, I know, didn't even think we about don't think it. about it. I know. Yeah. That's yeah. true. No, you're right. You're right. So now you're a uh, boombox. My tape player. My yeah. boombox. There yeah. we go. My tape player. Yep. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh my gosh, I haven't even thought about that word in so long. I know, right? It's okay. So yeah, no, I would totally sing... And, you know, picking the music depending on the mood and all of that. But, Mm -hmm. yeah. No, that was super therapeutic for me. And it still is in some ways. I don't do it as often because I live with other, you know, my husband and my kids would, like, yell at me to shut up immediately. And I think my family for sure got sick of me singing at the top of my lungs in the shower and all around the house and everything. But that was what I did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't, and you don't have to like get into details, but I don't know for me that that escape into music to be able to have, like, I didn't have anybody who could empathize with the pain I was experiencing at the time. At least I didn't think so. And so singing the sad songs and really immersing myself in that was, that was what was healing for me. I'm not sure if you relate to that at all. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think preteen girls feel that <laughs> whether it's super justified or this not true, um, true whether it's realistic or not but you know I think we all feel that so yeah I think mine was probably mm-hmm. coming from more of that place <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah but th- I mean the healing power of music it's just it's undeniable and I like I hear that thread too for you of being able to have that in one way or another in yeah. different iterations. Yeah, totally. Oh, the other thing that I heard in there that I feel like is really healing not only just your relationship with the students and finding connection there but just finding your path, right? Yeah. Being aligned with what it is that you do best and also fills your soul. Like that sounded like a really nice healing experience for you, potentially. I'm just saying that it's healing for you, but you tell me. No, that's true. Like I didn't see myself in that role for life. I think I was just at the right age, you know, because I started doing that in my Mm mid-20s, right? And because I could feel it as time went on, you know, that I was not, uh, I still had good relationships with my students, but I think it was starting to show that I was less relatable as I got older, right? So I mean, you like don't have millions of followers on TikTok, so they couldn't relate anymore? No, I don't even, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't either. We're so... No one wants to see me do things on Were you TikTok. born in 79 yeah. as well? Yeah. Okay, so we're, we are solidly Gen X, everyone. We are yeah. not millennials. No, we're right. not millennials. Yeah. Definitely not Gen Z. Well, let's think about, I want to talk about the podcast itself. And so in terms of that, right, because like you've done a million things, advising sounds like the really sweet spot in your career, but this podcast in and of itself, would you consider yourself a healer in terms of what you're putting out into the world with this podcast? Hmm. I don't know, because I guess the healing part of my career that I've thought about more is the one-on-one time with students, because I I think most of all, what was healing for them in their interaction with me is they knew that I cared about them, mm-hmm. and they knew that that was coming from a genuine place, 
I shouldn't say past tense because I still keep in touch with so I mean I saw like 20 of them last night at a concert it was super great oh yeah and I mean that was another thing I went to this concert last night because one of my former students was conducting and like a third of the mm. choir were them they're all choral directors and this choir was really good so yeah I mean I still want to do things like that to support them but also to listen to them because I think sometimes being caught up in a university system and you're going to financial aid or you're going to a professor's office hours or you're sitting in a class or you're, you know, you're going all these different places. A lot of times people feel like no one's really listening to them, mm-hmm. especially if they're frustrated about something. So well, everybody has an agenda. Yeah. Right? The dean has an agenda. The professors have an agenda. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted them to feel like if they came in my office, I would listen to them. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. always necessarily agree with, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and that could Mm -hmm. be tough or I would maybe Mm -hmm. have to calm them down or steer them in another direction. But I wanted them to feel like at least they knew I heard them, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's really the caring for them and the listening to them is really kind of what I think about in the healing part of my career. So with the podcast, I don't know because, you know, I mean, you know, you put a podcast out there and you don't know who's listening or what they're getting from it if they don't tell you. Not yet. Because, you know, uh, right. But they will. <laughs> have, you, have you not been getting any fan mail yet? I've gotten messages, not like mm-hmm. an overwhelming number or anything, but I've also... I don't either. <laughs> yeah. I've also gotten them from not my target audience, you know, like somebody oh, really? listened, it's, you know, like a parent will listen or somebody who's graduated years ago, you know, or not like years and years, not like 30 years ago, but you know, like they haven't been a student for a while. Right. <laughs> not like super <laughs> like old us. people. Um, or, right. you know, I've gotten an overwhelming, uh, the most overwhelming responses have been really from like other professionals like me too. So, which has been nice, but mm. the funny thing too has been a lot of the people I've interviewed which I know most of them. I don't know everybody. You know, most of the people I reach out to are people I know in some capacity. And a lot of them have written me afterwards and said, I haven't thought through my career path or my decisions in a long time. And now I feel like after we talked through all that, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel this energy to go try this new thing. Or I feel like now I'm building up some more courage to do this other thing that I've been putting off or, you know, so that's actually been really fun for me to hear some of the people who are friends and family members even, you know, say stuff like that because it's been several of them and I was not expecting that at all, but to kind of give that to them, Mm. you know, as a, as a byproduct, I guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) has been really fun. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think so. I I was in this training this last weekend. I took an embodied social justice course that was like truly amazing. And they offered this leadership depth track. And so it was like an all weekend thing. And we have another weekend coming up in two weeks. And the woman who's also a guest on the podcast, uh, Rusia Mohudin, I believe is how we pronounce her last name. And she was saying like in the capitalistic American context, you know, the question is always like, what do you do? And she said, nobody asks like, what brings you joy? What lights you up? Mm. What are you passionate about? And I can only imagine how education would be changed 
if instead of thinking, you know, what do you go to school for to make money? What do you go to school for that lights you up? Yeah. And that's really a conversation we have in the arts all the time, right? Because there was, oh, I can't tell you how many people cried in my office because of some version of that, because, oh, yeah, whether it was parental pressure or whether it was this isn't working out and I don't know what else I can do because this is who I've been for so long. Mm, That was me. That's probably why I didn't change majors. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's so much being an artist and being a musician, an actor, a dancer, whatever you are, painter is part of our identity because a lot Mm -hmm. of us have been doing it since childhood or at least middle school or something, right? So to have something happen, whether it's in our own mind, you know, changing your mind or own change of heart or something forces you to, you have an injury or you don't pass an audition to be a performance major or you, you know, whatever, something else happens. It's not just, okay, let's change your major. Right. You know, it's a much bigger conversation. Right. So, right. I did feel like that was part of my purpose there, too, is to hear that and give them permission to grieve that, right? Because I think that's not... When that kind of rejection is given by faculty or by a program, Mm -hmm. they're not there to be like, let me help you grieve this or let me advise you to take some time and go Mm -hmm. process this. Mm -hmm. Some students see it coming, but some it completely blindsides them. So... Yeah, I think that part of identity is hard when that's the thing that's brought you joy. Right. And you did want it to be your career. Right. And then it's hard to see how it can. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes those conversations had to be me encouraging them that they still could. You know, mm-hmm. they're just, we just needed to adjust their degree a little bit and then they can still go out and do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because this one faculty member says you can't doesn't mean you can't do it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I've loved watching students just rock it when they graduate or whatever they're doing, especially when somebody told them they couldn't. I think those are kind of the sweetest things to see. I'm also thinking all art is so subjective. I remember feeling, and this is nothing on Mari, but in my voice lessons, feeling like I can't sing the way my voice was meant to sound, right? I was being asked to put myself in this box of European white, you know, and I am European white. That is my ancestry, but that's not what my voice sounds like. (laughs) I have a lot of soul and that was not, I felt at least that the type of music that we were, you know, and God bless Mari. She let me sing a lot of musical theater, whereas I think many teachers would completely frown on that. She at least let me do that. But uh, it's so subjective. And so for for somebody to come in and say, like, you're never going to make it based on, you know, your voice being a certain way or whatnot, like, that's just bullshit. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were in a classical opera program. And so that's what their lens was. Right. 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 Because sometimes I would agree with them that, yeah, this student is not going to be a successful opera house singer Mm -hmm. because you know maybe their voice was really small Mm -hmm. or you know there's no way you could hear them over an orchestra or they were super timid on stage Mm -hmm. or you know there's all these different things but 
but it doesn't mean they couldn't be a successful musician in another capacity, right? right? And so some teachers are good about talking them through that, like, okay, this is probably not going to happen this way, but let's talk about how it could happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have to work really hard to try to do blah, blah, blah. So some faculty are good about helping to guide through other options, and some just want to... They almost don't want to encourage them to do something that they don't think is likely, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think sometimes they view it as a kindness, too, mm-hmm. because they feel like we don't want to mislead you that this mm-hmm. is a likely path that you'll be successful on when our professional evaluation is that as competitive as it is out there, you know, this is not super likely for you. So, you know, every student is different. Every situation is different. But those were always hard conversations, and that was part of what kind of drew me to start having that freshman class is to show them mm-hmm. being a performer and being a teacher are not the only two options, because right. that's kind of what's presented to us when we go to college. Like, those are the two main paths, and we don't talk very much about arts administrators, and we don't talk right. very much about technicians and we don't talk very much about music therapists and we don't talk a lot Mm -hmm. you know I mean there's all of these other paths to use that knowledge and that passion and so that's part of why I wanted to start doing that is to be like look at all these people who are doing all of these cool things and they also thought when they walked in they could only be a performer or a teacher but they realized they can do these other things and that also I think speaks to our like fame obsessed culture Mm. that so many people think of performing and wanting to be in that spotlight and you got to have people who are going to hang the lights. You got to have people who are selling the tickets, right? You got to have people who are booking the acts. You have to have all of that. And it's it's just so interesting because I've always been fascinated and this is probably going to sound so judgmental, but and counter to what I just said before, like, but I've always been really fascinated by the initial American Idol auditions and the people who come in. And it's very clear that they are not meant for a performing career. Right. And yet they do it with gusto, right? Like, I've just always been really fascinated with the psychology of why, like, Mm -hmm. why are you there? And not, you know, I'm not trying to disparage any of these people because I do want people to shoot for their dreams. But I guess I also I want for everyone a level of honesty within themselves. Yeah. So you can find your shit earlier, right? So you don't have to dog paddle around everywhere and get all this unnecessary rejection if you find what actually your talents are aligned with. Yeah. And I think sometimes the idea of what we think we want to be is not the reality of what that is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? And Mm -hmm. so I think that was part of my realization when I decided I didn't want to audition anymore and everything after grad school, you know, right after master's, everybody's auditioning for all these young artist programs, doing all the stuff. And I just didn't because I had realized I don't want that life. Yeah. And thankfully, yeah. I'd been exposed to enough. The big thing that hit me the most that I still remember, and I don't remember which soprano it is, and I'm so frustrated by that, but... I was backstage at HGO and was one of the lead sopranos for the opera that we were in at the time. And she mentioned something about one of her kids being in school in France or something. And so I said, oh, is that where you're headed, you know, after this production? And she's like, yes, I'll go there. And then I go to this fancy place, followed by this fancy place and this fancy place. 
I was just like, wow, it must be so incredible to like live your life and see all these places. And she said, and my husband was in the production too. And she said, well, honey, you have a husband and you have a home to go to every night. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dang. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and then I started really thinking about, do I want to be gone all the time? And some Mm -hmm. people can make that work. Right. You know, some people can make that work. But knowing myself and knowing my husband and knowing our relationship, (laughs) I was like, this is not realistic. And I don't know Mm -hmm. why it took me that long to Mm -hmm. like be smacked in the head with that. Well, because you weren't doing that, right? When you're in school, you're doing the school thing. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's it's just like part of this that people don't tell you. And like rock stars will tell you being on the road is grueling. I'm sure it's almost exactly the same for opera singers, except they don't get panties thrown in their face. Right. You know, right? Like (laughs) maybe a few of them do. Maybe. But But yeah, going back to the hotel room every night Mm -hmm. and being in, and it's not just fancy places, you know, you start out singing in regional places that are not so fancy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was part of the, the reason for the class and the reason for the podcast is to have people talk about this is what life is really like when you have this job. And because I think a lot of us have some idea in our head about whether it's being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is. And by the way, those are also students who we see so much who are trying and trying and trying to shoot Mm -hmm. for that. And they can't pass calculus or they can't pass chemistry and physics. And I still get amazed by that. And I think for a lot of, for a lot of people, it's a combination of this idea that they've always wanted to be a doctor. They've always wanted to be an engineer or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, they just are not seeing the reality of like, I'm not even good at the skills I need to do that job. Right, right. Or, you know, and for some reason that doesn't click. Right. Or maybe it's parental pressure. You know, my family is telling me I have to be a doctor and I can't pass biology. So what do we do there? Mm-hmm. But that that happens a lot, too, where there are these forces that are kind of fighting each other when you're trying to find your way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I want a huge change in our culture that focuses on like if we got in touch with our emotions, then we would be more in touch with what it is that we really want for ourselves and then we could figure out what we want for our careers. But it's literally the opposite and some people don't even get to be in touch with their emotions, right? But also like knowing yourself, because I think we've talked about going in our rooms and singing it out. We were in touch with Mm -hmm. our emotions through music, but I wasn't in touch with who I am as a person. Yeah. Would not fit that lifestyle or that I wouldn't even want to live my life that way. Right. And so I wish to for students that they take time to really sit because sometimes you just literally have to sit down and talk through it with yourself like. Mm -hmm. Am I this kind of person? Who am I? Am I a person that will enjoy this environment? Is this environment something that will be positive for me? Because even people, well, I mean, we all know, you know, people will interview and say they're a people person. And then you start working with them and they're not a people person. It's like, why did you say that? You're a fucking introvert. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like, don't go into an interview and say you're something because you think that's what they want to hear. Right. And sometimes people actually think they're something that they're not too. Right. Right. 
So it's, I think a lot of it is getting to know yourself and then being honest with yourself about mm-hmm. that. And does that line up with these ideas that you've had mm-hmm. for your life? And if it doesn't, that's okay. That's okay. And I'm going to back it up and say, if we allowed children to be children and play more, they would probably get to know themselves better rather than needing to get graded on tests. And like, yeah, I listened to, I can't remember what the podcast was called, but I think you'd be really interested. It's basically like the history of the education system in the U.S. and how we've created a bunch of people who don't know anything about democracy. And the reason that we're in this great divide that we're in is we haven't taught critical thinking in school in a really long time. Since the whole no child left behind, critical thinking skills have just not been taught unless you're in like, you know, a gifted program or something like that. And so this is why we're where we are, because we're not focused on the right thing. Yeah. And the conversation is so focused on I mean, there's some good reason for this. I don't want to. Th- I don't want to say that we shouldn't think about our financial future, or we shouldn't mm-hmm. think about you know stability and everything. It's but yes and yeah. So I think it's so focused on like pick a career, prepare for that, stick to mm-hmm. it, build your resume, get all this experience, cram it all in, stress yourself out, and we're not stopping to take inventory along the way. It's like you throw a kid on a track. And you just want them to stay on the track. And that really, even in a university setting, you know, we want people to graduate on time, right? We Mm -hmm, want them to get out of there because we don't want you to have more debt and we don't want you to waste time, which are valid concerns, right? But if halfway through a degree, a student is like, this is not the right thing for me, there's also this pressure of like, but if you change your mind, you're going to add time. You've wasted all this time. You're going to have to start over again. And a lot of the times they would say that to me, well, then I'd have to start over. Right. Well, do you want to add a year or two to this degree and then graduate with what you want? Yeah. Or do you want to stick to your timeline and graduate with a degree that you already know now that you don't even want to have? Right. So it's so hard. I mean, again, everybody's different. Everybody's in a different situation, but there's also these pressures on them to almost not acknowledge that when it happens. Right. It's all part of capitalism. Well, we've come to the end of the hour and I didn't even ask you the wounded healer question, but I don't care because I feel like you are doing work that is super healing and super necessary and how wonderful it is to hear how much you care about supporting students and making decisions that are going to help them have a life that's fulfilling. I hope so. I mean, that's the idea. It's so sad that I feel like that message counters a lot of educational institutions sometimes or just systems that are working within those institutions. But mm-hmm. yeah, my goal is definitely to help students think about things, but also know that it's okay to take time. It is okay to change your mind. It is okay to pivot. It is okay to do things a different way than everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think that we are supporting students in that way, you know, right? Being encouraging and also being realistic because how many of us have had a straight line that we have just followed and we arrive at some magical destination? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> it anyone. It doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. 
But that's how the message is fed so young, right? Like you do this, you get this degree, you're going to get this job, and this is what, how your life's going to turn out. And we all know that's not true. Life is not linear. It's never linear. That's the secret. No. Right. Yeah. And to not be scared of that. And that's not, nothing's wrong with you <laughs> when it's right. not linear, right? Right. So, yeah, I hope our narratives change because it needs to. It totally needs to. Well, podcasts like yours are putting that out there, right? Making it visible. You're making it visible. And that's what's important. Thank you. Yeah. Well, where can people find your podcast? So we are Paths in Progress. We are on all of the regular, you know, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Stitcher, all of that fun stuff. We also are featured on Broadway On Demand, uh, the performing arts episodes. Yeah. Anyone who's in the performing arts in some capacity, those episodes also appear on the new podcast platform on Broadway On Demand. Cool. Awesome. And we're on Instagram, Past and Progress Podcast, and LinkedIn and Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. So get in touch with Carrie if you have a really cool career story that you want to share. Absolutely. Or reach out with any kind of idea, you know, any kind of suggestion or idea. I want to build a resource for students. So if you feel like there's something that needs to be talked about or a certain kind of path that needs to be highlighted, let me know because I would love to include that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's so great to catch up. It is super fun. And thank you for doing my podcast. And this has been a fun little exchange to catch up and have these conversations. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much to Carrie for being a great guest today. To learn more about Carrie and her work, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.